you all today. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know that uh, we've started into a new teaching series this fall. Uh, actually, it'll likely carry us uh, somewhat through the rest of the, the school year anyway. Uh, we'll take a couple pauses around uh, Advent and first of the year. But we're walking through the book uh, of Ephesians found in the New Testament. Uh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, written to a church uh, in the area of modern-day Turkey. And we're tracking along with this letter as uh, modern-day followers of Christ here. And here's our kind of our, our way we're looking at this letter. That Ephesians is like a set of glasses. Uh, it's a way for us to see reality. It's a way for us to see life clearly and fully and, and correctly. And uh, I hope um, today we get a, a real clear glimpse of Christ's plan for his church. I see you all are here today at a church gathering. So I'm assuming that there's uh, somewhat of a desire uh, to understand what the church is all about. So we'll, we'll lean into that question today. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 is our text for the morning. And uh, before I read this, here's what you need to know. Uh, up until this point, Paul has kind of been doing a, a greeting, an, introductor, an introduction in the letter. He's letting um, the hearers know, hey, I want you to know all the good things that Christ has done for us. And now he begins praying based on all that he has previously said. So this section is a prayer that Paul is writing out uh, for his hearers. So really cool section, getting insight into how Paul is praying for those that he wants to grow in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named." not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord, we come to you this morning uh, grateful uh, for this day, uh, grateful that we get to draw breath in this day. We know that all things, including our very breath, are from you. So thank you for the good gifts you've given. And God, as we come to your word now, I pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see uh, who you truly are. Uh, you'd give us eyes to see your church for who you've made your church to be, and eyes to see your plan uh, to work through your church in this world. So God, I pray that you'd be our guide and our teacher uh, by your spirit and by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start here with a little uh, uh, question, show of hands. Who here in the room knows who Nicholas Copernicus is? Diving back down into elementary school, I see some like half hands, all right? Nicholas Copernicus. Anybody here can tell me what he was famous for? 
Yes, Jackie. There it is. The earth was not the center, or is not, the center of the universe. Still true. Um, Now, when he first made that proposition, many thought that was just crazy talk. What do you mean that the earth is not the center of the universe? As a matter of fact, he was roundly discounted in his day when he proposed this, including from many within the church. Uh, spoke strongly against this view that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the universe. And you know why they discounted his idea? Because it sure looks like the earth is. When we look at the sun, we see it go across the sky. It, It looks from our perspective like the sun is going around the earth, not vice versa. So from a human perspective, it looked like the earth was the center. But that is not the case. And Nicholas Copernicus was eventually proven true. Now we can look back at at that day and maybe scoff from our historical vantage point. You know, how silly to think that the earth is the center. But I I would um, posture that all of us at times have things that we think are true by what we see, which in fact are not true. Um, Maybe some things of lesser consequence and some things of greater consequence. Uh, of lesser consequence. Um, there have been many times when I have gone around the house and said things like, I cannot find this article of clothing. Um, I, I'm notorious for being a bad looker for clothes in the house. At one point, I could not find this blue Under Armour sweatshirt. And I was confident I had seen it in my son's room. So I was convinced he had stolen my blue Under Armour sweatshirt. And so for probably a couple months, I kept saying, where did you leave my blue Under Armour sweatshirt? Uh, I went out to golf one day and opened my bag, and there was my sweatshirt in the golf bag. And that's kind of typical for me being confident I see things one way when, in fact, it was another. And I think all of us have situations like that where we are confident in our sight, in our perspective, and we find out we're wrong. Now, Ephesians today, this this prayer, this letter, Paul is praying that the eyes of our heart uh, would be enlightened, that we would actually be able to see what is true. And I think he's writing to people who at one point were pretty confident in how they saw Christ. This is early on, and many of these people thought Christ was, you know, merely this Jewish itinerant preacher um, who had died a death and allegedly had risen, but they really weren't sure about who he was. They saw him one way, and they had come to believe that he, in fact, was the Lord of all. And he's writing to these people that not only would they see Christ rightly, but they would see his church rightly. And so I want to consider um, some of these questions today. First of all, I want us to open our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is, and I think only then can we actually see his church what his church actually is. So let's first consider some of what this passage tells us about Jesus. And this is going to be a pretty quick flyby because most of this uh, uh, sermon today is going to be on the second question. So opening our eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. In this passage, um, Paul is praying some very large, lofty prayers. When you look at what he's saying about Christ, maybe you've been in the church for a while, and so you kind of get used to these ideas. Just imagine if you have never, never heard about Jesus before, and you hear about uh, someone who n- was raised from the dead. I mean, that alone just doesn't happen. So pretty crazy. 
Paul's praying about Jesus raised from the dead. But then he goes on, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, meaning that he ascended and is now in a place of power and honor and authority, seated on the throne of the universe. That he is far above all rule, authority, power, dominion. Now, let's just pause for a second. At the time of this writing, uh, Paul's writing in uh, the time of the Roman Empire, very powerful, dominant empire, and the ruler of the Roman Empire is Caesar. I mean, it is Caesar who seems to have the power, the authority, the dominion. And Paul really is, you know, clearly leaning into this, saying, it's not Caesar who's actually over all, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who right now is ruling the throne of the universe. And then he goes on and he says, all things are under his feet. He doesn't say all things will be under his feet. He says all things currently are under his feet. And at that point, I say, come on. You look around the universe, does it appear that all things are under Jesus' feet? Do our eyes see that? No. We see a lot of problems in this world. We see things that are messed up, things that are broken, things that are corrupt. And yet, Paul says, I want us to see reality. Jesus, in fact, is ruling. He, in fact, is over all. And one day things will be finally, finally fulfilled in his rule. But it doesn't change the fact that right now he has ascended to the throne. Now, if Jesus really is Lord, if he really is raised from the dead, really is seated at the, on the throne of heaven, if he really is above every rule, authority, power, now and forever then it changes how we see other things. It changes how we see death. We can stand at a grave with great hope that that's actually not a goodbye. It's not the end. It's not final because Jesus himself has died and risen. The first of all who will die and rise in him. It changes how we see death. It changes how we see earthly rulers. We can look at earthly rulers who may be corrupt, may seem so powerful, and we could say, that's only for a time. And they are only allowed to do what God allows them to do. We trust the one who actually is over them. And so we don't get all worked up over earthly politics. We engage, but our ultimate hope is not there. It changes how we see the powers and the problems of this world. That we know, we know that God is in charge and he will make all things well in his time. It changes how we see other people, people that Christ died for and longs to be part of his family, and it changes how we see the future, a future filled with hope and goodness. See, if Jesus really is who he said he is, it changes our sight. Now, for some of you listening today, the question for you to wrestle with is, is what Paul writes about Jesus true? I mean, some of you here today uh, are considering the claims of Christ. And I want to say, first of all, welcome. Um, this is a place for anybody at any point on their spiritual journey to be considering Jesus Christ and his claims. And so we're glad that you're here and are considering Christ for who he is. Um, I encourage you, first of all, to question um, these claims here. Is what Paul wrote about Christ 
actually true? And think through what, what, what would keep you from believing these claims? What are your specific questions? And then I encourage you to go to the source. Read, read the scriptures, read a gospel account of Jesus, and consider for yourself Christ and his claims. For others of you here today, um, I'm guessing you do believe what Paul writes about Jesus. You do believe that he's risen from the dead, seated in heaven, above all rule, power, and authority. So my question for you today is, are you seeing the church through the lens of Jesus, risen, seated, and ruling? Just because we believe the truth about Jesus risen doesn't mean we see the church through that lens. So that's my question today. For you here who do believe the claims of Jesus, are you looking at his church through that lens? So let's lean into that question for the rest of our time. Uh, opening our eyes to see Jesus' church for what it really is. And this is at the end of Paul's prayer in verses 22 and 23. Paul makes this radical uh, claim about the church. He prays this. He says, and he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus, God put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. First question, what is the church? What is the church? Now, our, our natural inclination is to think of the church maybe as a building, a building we go to uh, to attend a religious service. So I, I'm going to the church, whether it's uh, to worship, to get married, we go there to do religious things. So we, think of, we talk today about the church being a building that was never taught, referred to that way in the scriptures. They didn't even own buildings in the early church. There, there was no idea that the church was a building. Or maybe we talk about the church being um, a, a gathering. You know, I'm going to go and have church today, have, have this gathering. But church in the scriptures is not considered either uh, a worship service. It's not a building. It's not a service. Church is always referred to as a people, a community, a family that God has called together. And I want to look here at what Paul says in Ephesians 1, and 23, because he uses two words, and this is not the complete definition of the church, but two words that uh, give us great insight onto what the church actually is. Paul says, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Now, you've probably heard the church referred to that way before. What does that actually mean? The church is the body of Christ. If you think about this, this is an amazing claim. In Jesus Christ, God put on flesh. God became human. Jesus dwelt among us so that we could know God. We could see God's character on display in a person. See, prior to Jesus becoming human, the presence of God was all but unapproachable. Um, in, in the temple in Jerusalem, you know, there was a special room, the Holy of Holies. And in this place, there was the, the manifest presence of God, and you only went there with fear and trembling. Priests, one time a year, could go in this room, and only if they did it in the right way, or else they would die. Great fear uh, rested on everyone at the thought of entering the presence of God. And then we have Jesus Christ who comes as a helpless baby. And then a, a common man 
that anyone could see, hear, touch. God's presence is becoming approachable in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and he comes so that he might take on our sin, uh, dying our death and giving us his life so that we could know God, we could be close with God. In Jesus, God's presence has come to earth, but then he left. And the disciples grieved. And they thought, man, we had it so good. Jesus was here. And Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. We think, how could that be? How could it be better that the presence of God in human form leads? Well, it's this whole thing right here. That Jesus' presence has not actually left. He sent the Holy Spirit to fill, all, fill the lives of those who put their faith in him. So when the, we refer to the church as his body, what we're saying is that Jesus' presence on earth right now is in his church, in his people, that God is letting the world know what he is like through his church, that all here today who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have the spirit at work within them. So God is showing the world through all our personalities and giftings and experiences his character. The church is the body of Christ. To be part of Christ is to be part of his body. You can't have it any other way. If you come to Christ as Father, you naturally get brothers and sisters in his body. So we're together as his body. Second uh, word here, the church is the fullness of Christ. So the church is the body of Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I was thinking about this this week. I can get my head around the idea of the church being the body of Christ. It's mind-blowing, but I still can kind of get my head around it. This second word, though, I was like, I'm just not sure I even get this. And I'm not sure I do. <laughs> the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. It sounds quite backwards to me. I mean, Christ is the fullness of God. I I'm nothing like that. I mean, I am sinful. I have, I have hang-ups. I have brokenness, and yet God is calling those who put their faith in Jesus together the fullness of him who fills all in all. How can that be? I think we can only answer that question by considering the next question that we're going to look at this morning, which is, what is God doing through his church? When we answer this question, I think we can understand the last one. What is God doing through his church? God who fills all in all. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, which we'll cover probably a few months from now, uh, gives us some greater insight into what God wants to do through his church. And this is a little bit longer passage, so hang with me. At the very end of it, you'll really uh, get the point that we're going at here. Paul says, for there is one body, talking about the church, one body, and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. 
This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens. And listen here. So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now this is a somewhat confusing passage. Paul says that Jesus descended to the earth. He became human. And he, he became human so that he might die, rise, and ascend to heaven so that, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. That word fill, you'll see this all throughout the writings of Paul. God's purpose is to fill the world with his life and his love. Right in the very beginning of the story, God makes man and woman, and he intends man and woman to come together and to multiply and to fill the earth and bring order. To multiply his life and his love, God has always been about filling the universe with his life and love, and he's always called human beings to be participants in that mission. Fill the world with my life and my love. And you know the story. It, hadn't, it didn't go so well. We rejected what God had to say, but what was right and good, and try to do things on our own. But he has come again for us in Jesus Christ, and God is essentially saying, my original plan, I'm working out even better now through the church to fill the entire universe with my life and my love. So if that's Jesus' mission, if he wants his church to be about filling the universe with his life and his love, we can begin to understand why Paul can talk about the church being the fullness of Christ. Because Jesus in physical form could be in one place at one time. He could not be in Nazareth and also in Jerusalem. He could only fill one place with his life and love at one time. Now that he has ascended and has given us his Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus can be in millions of places at the same time. The fullness of God is going out, filling the world with his life, his love, his teaching, his deeds, his character. I mean, God intends for every segment of the world to be filled. The schools, businesses, neighborhoods, uh, government institutions, filled with the life and the love of God. And it's hard to fathom because we don't see it. But that's his mission, that this world will be filled with his life and his love. Now, I want to spend the end of our time here kind of considering some implications for us as a church. I mean, what I've shared is like uh, kind of some high thinking about the church. And I want to bring it down to kind of practical levels. And partly why I want to do this is I've been asked by the leadership here, team here to talk about what I would love to see happen in and through this church uh, in uh, the season ahead. Um, as some of you know, we've been going through a pastoral transition process, and at this point, um, you might not might know, might know this already, uh, lo and behold, my name's been put in the mix, and so uh, I'm supposed to give to you guys kind of a vision uh, talk this morning, and I didn't want to just focus on my plans for the church, I wanted to talk about Jesus' plans for the church, and then say, what are some implications for us in the season ahead? So if the church really is the presence of Jesus on earth, he really is calling us to fill the world with his life and love. What are some implications for Be Free Dover in the season ahead? Three things. First, there's a disciple-making implication. There's a disciple-making implication. 
If the church is the body of Christ on earth, through whom he is filling this world with his life and love, then being filled with Christ is our greatest need and opportunity. Uh, we can't participate in Christ's mission unless we are filled with Christ. Now, to come to Jesus Christ is to receive his Holy Spirit. Uh, all Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit when they put their faith in him. That doesn't mean we are filled with his Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to give God free reign to all areas of our lives. Our, our financial life, our relational life, our sexual life, our vocational life. That every area of our life is filled with his life, his love. His intentions uh, rule our life. And so we are on a lifelong journey of learning to live our lives under his leadership. That's called discipleship. That when Jesus was on earth, he, he didn't go around and, and uh, start lots and lots of worship services and, and count success, the number of attenders he had. What he did is he called people to follow him. He said, come, be my disciple. This is an invitation again and again in the scriptures. Come, follow me. And what he meant is, come learn from me. Come be my student, my apprentice. Come learn from me how to live. And many did. They came and learned from him um, his way of relating with people, his way of serving people. And we can only learn this way by the power of his spirit that he gives us. But the disciple-making focus of Jesus Christ is such a needed emphasis in the church today. Um, you probably won't be surprised to hear that I think many churches assume disciple-making is happening in their church where really what's happening is simply the advertising of the Christian life. We want to make learners of Jesus' way, not just agreeers with Jesus' way. Do you see the difference? You can come to church and agree with all that it says and still never live what the scriptures say. And the disciple-making emphasis of Jesus Christ is such a needed emphasis uh, in the church today. So how, how do we do that? How do we make disciple-making a focus uh, here at Be Free uh, Dover? Well, my desire would be to see Be Free Dover develop as a, a school of Jesus' life. Uh, this happens as we come alongside one another, um, as we look in the scriptures together in large group, in small group, and as we make it our intention to put into practice the things we see Jesus doing in the scriptures. And this only happens by practice. Uh, by practice, we learn to follow Jesus Christ. There's a disciple-making implication. Uh, secondly, there's a relational implication. If the church is the body of Christ on earth, through whom he is filling the world with his life and love, then our connectedness to one another is vital. That Jesus' plan to fill the world isn't just through an individual. It's through his church together. I mean, not one of us has you know, all the gifts that are needed. I mean, I look across, out of this room. I mean, we really are very different. There's all kinds of different skill sets represented in this room, different spiritual gifts, different personalities. And we all together uh, are to be used by God. I mean, Jesus, before he went to the cross, prayed, Father, may they be one even as you and I are one. His intention is for his church to be so connected to him that we would be connected to one another deeply. 
And you know as well as I do that this past few years has been hard on the connectedness of the church in our country. And there's been a lot of difficulty and tension and division within the church. But there's also great opportunity for God to bring together what has been tense and separated. So my desire or vision is to develop our connectedness in Christ, uh, one, by addressing some of the common tension points um, that have caused division over the past couple years. Uh, secondly, it's by creating more opportunities for connectedness. As I've talked to so many people here about why are you part of this church, I've actually heard a very common theme. So many of you have said, oh, so-and-so invited me uh, to a, a community group. So-and-so invited me over to their house for dinner. It almost always is about the connectedness beyond just the worship gathering. Uh, going forward in the season ahead, I'm confident we need more community groups, more opportunities for connection so that other people can be brought into the life and love of Jesus in this community. I think we also need to foster a culture of covenantal, not transactional relationships. Covenantal, not transactional relationships. And all of us, by nature, default to transactional in our culture. And what that means is we have a relationship simply around an agreement. So I have a transactional relationship with my mechanic. If he does a very good job uh, fixing my car, I'll keep going back to him. If he does not, I'm not going back there. My commitment to him is based on his performance. And in the church, we're called to something different. It's a commitment to one another, not based on whether I like you, on whether how you are performing well. We're connected together in Christ. And so it's a commitment to, to be together, to serve together, to love together, even when it's difficult. And so that needs to be a constant drumbeat for the church during a time of great tension and division, that we are called together based on covenantal commitment not transactional commitment. Third thing, and we're heading towards the finish line here. There's a missional implication as well for the church. And that is, if the church is the body of Christ on earth, then Jesus is sending us to fill the Dover area with his life and love. None of you are here by accident. We're all here on purpose. That God has brought us together, not only for our own benefit, our own encouragement, but he has purposes for us to be sent into this community. Uh, he has ways he wants us to serve, ways he wants us to bless, ways he wants us to love, and that should be a, co a constant thought for us. How are we as a church being sent to the community around us? Uh, what this means is I think we measure success not just by our seating capacity, how many people are coming here, but by our sending capacity. How many people are we sending there into the places around us, the schools, the neighborhoods, the businesses? How are we seeing, be, equipping followers of Christ to go to those places intentionally with the life and the love of Jesus Christ? There's a missional implication of this vision to fill the Dover area with the life and the love of Jesus Christ. And I really see great opportunity for this. I've been so encouraged by how I've seen so many of you living this already. And I think... It's one of the things that attracts me to this church is I see your deep desire for other people in the Dover area to come to know and follow Jesus Christ. 
We did a survey this past year. That was one of the top things that was reported back in the survey. We want to see this grow in our church, seeing more people coming to know and follow Jesus Christ. So, uh, making application here. First, a couple of questions for you to consider, maybe even discuss as a community group. Uh, first, what is my current vision of the church? And I'll say, what is my current vision of this church? It's wonderful to just to kick around with others. How am I currently seeing this church? Am I excited about it? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? What, am I, what is my current vision of this church? But then secondly, what steps might I need to take to live in line with Christ's vision of the church? Everything we just read is so much bigger than how I usually see the church. I mean, I usually see the church as being pretty imperfect. Uh, I see the problems. I see the difficulties. And what we just read in Ephesians 1, I mean, God is looking at His church, and He sees Christ. He sees people who have come to know Him and love Him, and He wants to fill the universe through them. I mean, it's such a lofty picture. Consider, what would, step would you need to take to live in line with that vision of the church? Last application here, pray. This week, wonderful opportunity to take this passage and use it as a prayer template to pray for this church. Paul is praying for followers of Christ to have their eyes opened to recognize this reality. See, we're not going to just get this because we're so smart. We get it as God opens our eyes. We should be praying for one another that God would open up our, our eyes to see Christ for who He is and that we would see one another for who God has made us to be. So I encourage you to join me praying that this week. Well, let's wrap up with prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for how much you love us. I thank you that you have sent Christ uh, to this world, that you love us, you've given yourself for us, and your desire now is to fill us with your life and love, that we might fill this world with your life and love. So God, I do pray um, that you would open our eyes this week. Help us to understand and help us to live according to this vision. We love you and we are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please rise to worship the Lord?